episode 121 uh db do you still remember how to do this i think so john i mean look the team took what 13 days off so we can we can take some time off with a a great opportunity to uh talk about the first 47 and the last 35 so let's get to it there's there is a lot to cover dennis uh let's take a quick step back though before we talk about the present and then even really talk about the future you were at the all-star game the festivities up in vegas uh, I was originally scheduled to go, opted out of it because I wanted to go to the NASCAR race at the Coliseum. I love those big events at the Coliseum. So oh, yeah. whether it's, you know, the Dodgers playing the Red Sox there or X Games or whatever, it's such a historical building. And so I did opt out on the All-Star Weekend uh, there in Vegas. Tell us about it. Give us a couple of highlights. What'd you see? What'd you do? Who'd you talk to? Anything good coming out of that weekend? Well, it's funny. We brought it up with Todd yesterday and he asked if I got enough sleep. I go, well, I did, but in different like shifts. Like a, it's a, I got six hours of sleep, but 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. And with my shift, so everybody got a kick out of that. Look, to me, the biggest takeaway is that the event actually happened. Mm-hmm. And we're getting back towards normalcy. And the buildings will fold. And we're doing this stuff. And now there's no mask mandates left in Nevada. So, look, the guys that go there, especially the first-timers, they have a great time. And I get why Drew or Kopi wouldn't want to go. And Kopi wants to go up to to mammoth and go skiing or whatever i get that i understand it but it was to me it, it's just another sign we're getting back to normalcy you know there's more people getting back in the buildings in canada it's a fun time look there are two things like john they can't do the 21 uh, blackjack deal and the fountains in fort lauderdale next year mm-hmm. but there's certain things that are vegas centric that they did i think they liked it I, I liked it did it drag on a little bit too long because they were pre-recorded you know events that were on tv for tv sake yeah but overall, I think it's a big win. I think the guys that won had a really good time. And if you look at what's going on in Beijing and the experience over there with Beijing, I think those guys would much rather go to Vegas in the All-Star game than just playing in Beijing, which is it's not a good situation. To me, it's a great takeaway. Um, they'll, they'll tweak it again next year in, in Fort Lauderdale. But again, it's a move back towards normalcy for me. So I enjoyed it. I think most of the guys, I know Kempe enjoyed it. It was his first time there. He got to talk to some guys that he normally would be competing against. And that's what you do on that weekend. It's building relationships and bonding and things of that nature. So to me, I think it was a big win for the league. Look, he talked about 2023. I want to talk about 2024 in just a minute. But I, I just, I can't get uh, past the all-star game discussion and move on without saying, I just don't understand the people that complain about the all-star game. Because here's the thing. If you don't like it or it's not for you, 
just move on. You don't have to watch it. You don't have to complain. And more than likely, that means it's just not for you. Look, the majority of the Super Bowl halftime shows just aren't for me. We can get into that later. I'm really looking forward to the one this weekend. But uh, last year, I was not impressed. But to the All-Star game, it's just not for you if you're going to sit there and complain about it. It's for the younger players, like you talked about. The veterans have been there, done that, and they don't need to do it again. It's for the younger players, and more than anything, it's for the younger fans, the whole YouTube generation, the ones that want to watch the highlights, the ones that aren't as invested in the, the full two-and-a-half to three-hour experience, and they want to watch the dipsy doodles and all the crazy stuff that happens. It's just intended to be something fun and something different, and yes – the first game of the the multiple games is not as good as the later games when the million dollars really is on the line. It is what it is. I don't know. I guess it is what it is, DB. Just uh, enough with the complaining. Yeah, the only complaint I got is that Zegra should have won the, the breakaway. I mean, the, the thing with, with John Hamm voting, giving 19 points to Petrangelo, and I get it. He was home. He's the home guy, but he missed the shot. So to me, I'm like, come on, let the kid win it. It was a great, great uh get up that he had from the dodgeball show but to, uh, i agree with you john like if it's not for you turn the, the channel watch something else watch replays of old games but to me it's a, it's a fun experience and also for the home fans i mean they're, they're still going to rotate this event around the country so to me the vegas people had a really nice time it's a great opportunity and that's it it's it's, it's a it's a what they call a tent pole event right it's, it's something mm -hmm. that you need to get and it's for sponsors and it's a schmooze fest and it's a good time for everybody it's not don't take it seriously you want serious hockey wait till april till the stanley cup playoffs start but let's have some fun john like we got to get back fun back in our lives and it was a fun weekend that's the bottom line yeah i think you, the point about it being a localized event is also a big thing right it's a national right. game so it's nationally televised but these type of events much like the outdoor games which can also be nationally televised they are big, huge events for the local markets, and that's fantastic. I love the localization of the All-Star Game and the way that they incorporated Vegas. I'm curious to see what they'll do next year when they go uh, you know, to Florida. But let's skip ahead to 2024, DB, because sure. Dave Panyota from the fourth period, of course, your friend, uh, he had reported this a couple of years ago. I was texting with Dave about this a few days ago. I don't know if he told you um, how when all of a sudden it became big news that the World right. Cup might be played over All-Star Weekend in 2024. And I was like, hey, Panyota, didn't you report this like two, three years ago? And, you know, so we got a little bit of a kick out of it. Uh, yeah. You know, that's just that that's life in the media, DB. Sometimes we report stuff and it takes months or even years for others yeah. to catch up. <laughs> I wish people could see the look on your face right now but um sometimes it takes people a while to catch up and that's okay i get it mm -hmm. let's talk about the topic though i am all for it dennis i'm ready to go play the world cup and watch the world cup as early as this september apparently Batman and the players association has other ideas but 2024 instead of an all-star game playing a world cup type of event a mini tournament of some sorts mm -hmm. man i'm all for it dennis 100%. Uh, I was at 2016, the World Cup. It was amazing. It was fun. A big, big ballroom in Toronto. Guys went to stanchions. You did, just like you did the All-Star. You did the interviews, and the, the competition was great. The guys had fun with it. But it was more competitive, right, John? Like th Those guys wanted to win. Like, oh, that, yeah. that, they were playing to win. So to me, I'm all for it because my experience in 2016 was fantastic. I can't wait for it to bring them bring it back. I think it's, it's great as a substitute every couple of years for the All-Star game. No problem with it. It can't. It can't fail, right? To me, it's like you're playing for your country. You didn't get the opportunity to go to Beijing. I understand that. But for me, I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm excited about the prospect. They need to do it because it makes money for the league as well. And that's part of HRR as opposed to the Olympics. So, yeah, I'm on board with you. Uh, I, they, now, they may not 
they may have the finals like in Toronto. They may you know have play some other in other cities. The prices of the tickets might be a little bit high, but for me, I can't wait for that tournament to happen. I think it'll be great as it was in 2016. Yeah, I'm all about the best on best. I certainly understand yeah. why all involved uh, opted to you know not go to China. Uh, it's not the most pleasurable experience, even in the best of times. I was there in the 2008 Olympics, and the world was different in 2008 mm -hmm. than it is now for sure. Uh, we're hearing the complaints about the food and the lodging and everything else, not to mention the pandemic. It's, it's not a pretty scene over there, DB, but I'm right. all for best on best. And uh, we've talked about it many times here on the on, on the tournament, on the uh, podcast. I'm out of practice, Dennis. We haven't done you one of these in a while. You are changing. But, you know, having gone to the Olympics a couple times in 02 and 2010 mm -hmm. and the World Cup in 04, and you mentioned the one in 2016, I I'm all about it. Uh, you know, that's, 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 that's great, great hockey. So let's get to it in 2024. Really looking forward to it. I hope they can put that whole thing together and, uh, and make it a reality. That'll be good. Now, uh, Dennis, let's bring it sort of uh, to the forefront here. Current times, present mm -hmm. times. We are recording this early on Sunday morning. Uh, you owe me. You got me up early this morning yes, to do this because you have a you, you have a full slate of activities for today. You're headed to the Super Bowl, Dennis. Yes, John. I'm going to the Super Bowl. How could I not, as a Rams fan, not go to the Super Bowl in L.A. at SoFi? It's, I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to a little... The reason I got you up earlier is that we have some hospitality pregame that we're going to go to and then go to the game. So it's going to be exciting. We have amazing seats and the lovely PJ. You know, my wife, who's a, been a fan since she was 18. She actually has a little pin from when she was like 19 years old that they used to give out with a, a Ram helmet that says Rams on it. That's all. Love it. She's going to wear that. So it, it's going to be it's an exciting day for L.A. Obviously, L.A.'s now in the rotation for the Super Bowl. So maybe in six years when your Broncos are back in the Super Bowl, maybe six years from now you can go. So, uh, And I know you'll be rooting for Vaughn Miller today. So uh, yeah, Well, now this is your first Super Bowl too, right, DB? No, no. Oh, no. Okay, I'm going to age myself now. Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. I went to Super Bowl seven. In Wait, Houston. <laughs> hold on. No. What? That's how, yeah, as as like a thirteen, a twelve or thirteen year old, Super Bowl seven at Rice Stadium in Houston. It was the Vikings and the Steelers, and I think okay. it was like sixteen to six. Then I went to the one in Tempe um, when Larry Brown had three interceptions. It was the Steelers and the Cowboys. That was in the mid nineties. I'm a little five, maybe ninety six. And I went four years ago to Atlanta when the Rams played the, the Patriots, and I had to go through, That's right. through that disaster. So this is actually my fourth Super Bowl. Um, that we're going to, but the first one at SoFi, it's going to be... Have you been to SoFi yet, John? I still have not been to oh. SoFi. And here's the thing, Dennis. I, it, you're, you're a little bit ahead of me because I've been to two Super okay. Bowls and I've, I've witnessed uh, for two teams that I, that I love dearly, yeah. I've witnessed the, the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. Yes. So yes. Uh, I was at the Super Bowl in 93 and I watched the Buffalo Bills get destroyed by wow. the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the highlight of that was halftime, which was Michael Jackson. That's a different story for a different yep. day. But watching the Bills get destroyed was not pretty that day at the Rose Bowl. And uh, I actually had the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl a couple years after that when the Broncos were playing, yep. but I opted not to go just because uh, I, I couldn't take it, Dennis. I couldn't take going twice to the Super Bowl and watching my teams get blown. And, of course, the, the Broncos ended up winning back-to-back -back Super Bowls yeah. there at the end right. of Elway's career. But I, I atoned for everything, and I went to the Super Bowl, what was that, 2017, the 50th anniversary of the Super Bowl yep. up in uh, Santa Rosa, Santa and I did Rosa, see yeah. the Broncos win, so I was yep. happy. Uh, I, I thought about going this year. I kept waiting for the ticket prices to come down a little bit. They have slid a little bit in the last couple of days, but not, not, not into sort of what I'm comfortable with just because I don't have enough of an interest between right, right. the Rams and the Bengals. Totally. So, you know, it. I mean, if, 
if a team that I was really passionate about was in there, I, I would be there. I'm interested in going to SoFi. I, I've I've thought about it a few times, but I just I haven't pulled the trigger and gone to an event there yet, DB. Well, next year when the Broncos play the Chargers, yeah, that that would be that be logical for. It's an amazing stadium. It's great, and there's so much focus on LA and all the money coming into Englewood. It's going to be. Uh, it's a great event, but yeah, I just, I can't wait. I'm excited about it. And I'm just, I'm raring to go. So thanks for getting up early. Appreciate it. Yeah. I, uh, well, I was going to go to the Broncos game this year against the chargers, but the problem was the scheduling when the schedule came out, it, it was taking place the weekend that I was going to be at the world juniors. And so it wasn't right. going to, oh. it wasn't going to work. And then when all the crazy travel pandemic crazy. stuff happened with the world juniors, I just wasn't there, uh, you know, mentally excited sure. about going at that point. Too so. depressed over the juniors. I, I was too I depressed those, over the world I juniors. Days, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to sound too dramatic, but yeah, I just uh, I, I know I, kill, I know it killed you, John. It was, was it was a mood killer. Yeah. It was, exactly. but you know what? That's behind us now. It's Thirty days ago. You on track for next year? I'm on track for this summer. I keep waiting. The the IIHF keeps talking about doing the world juniors this summer. Now, exactly how, when, and where they're going to pull that right. off, I don't know. But they're talking about doing it in Red Deer, allegedly. Uh, oh, really? in Red Deer in Edmonton, excuse me. Sure, sure. Uh, probably in like the June, July time period. And, I, you know, I just don't know how that's going to work. For example, I look at Brock Faber, who we can talk about later. But yeah, please. Brock Faber, who's playing at the University of Minnesota and was a big part of Team USA. Now, he's likely going to turn pro Mm-hmm. In April and sign with the Kings, he'll be a pro player. Now, even if he doesn't report to Ontario this year and even if he waits until, you know, really next season, mm-hmm. you get into that weird thing of, well, he's a pro player because he signed a contract. So, he's you know, can you send him, you know, all, all sorts right. of weirdness? I mean, technically, yeah, you can't send him because right. players under pro contract, you know, can play. But it's just a whole weird thing of doing it in the summer. There are so many yeah. considerations. Um, I don't know how you pull it off, but you need to do something, Dennis, because uh, the tournament... <laughs> That didn't happen really came off flat uh this year and you played a couple oh. games too which also makes it weird it's so really crazy. you know do yep. you do those games count in the standings do you just you know delete all that Why from history it? and start over again I, I i don't know let 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 those other people worry about that dennis i just need to know when the games are i'll get on a plane and i'll be there and Beautiful. we'll That's we'll move forward Great. uh look let's talk a lot about the la kings in the second and third period db but i guess sure. since we are talking international hockey and i just mentioned brock faber we can touch on the olympics real quickly yeah. uh for people that are still tuning in uh to all the rams talk here um brock faber he played uh what 24 minutes i think the other night uh led all players in tw- 25 minutes earlier this morning in mm-hmm. uh in their game uh beating beating germany and now they get a bye team usa in those terrible jerseys they get a bye and they will play the winner of i believe slovakia and germany in the next round so they could play the same team the next time out after just having uh, uh beaten germany but DB, let's start with the jerseys. Those jerseys are horrible. Let's, I mean, like, I mean, come on. Okay, why, why are they horrible, John? The two it's, it's not a hockey jersey. Uh, you, know, I, you know, it's just not a hockey jersey. That's not what a hockey jersey looks like. I don't, I don't like the design. And I know people say, oh, well, you know, it looks like a soccer jersey. Okay, fine, it does. But it just, it has no oomph. There's nothing exciting yeah. about it. I'm all for clean lines and stuff like that. But, and the blue version does look a little bit better than the white version. But, Dennis, did you see the version the other day? It's a white jersey with white numbers. I mean, you're like telling me that nobody – What's that? looks like a practice jersey. You're, you're telling me that nobody, nobody, in all of the meetings and all the people that had to sign off on that, nobody <laughs> raised their hand and was like, hey, wait a minute. White numbers on a white jersey, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It looks terrible on TV. Yeah, it's awful. It's like when Tampa Bay wears the black jerseys with the black numbers, and you can't you, you can't see anything. 
I mean, <laughs> I've never been to design school, but I have to imagine there's a class somewhere in the curriculum that that, that covers dark numbers on dark jerseys and light common numbers on light design, jerseys. Uh, yeah, common That's sense and design. design. <laughs> exactly. Let's call FITM and find out uh, the Fashion Institute <laughs> and find out when, when that course is given and uh, maybe get some of these people enrolled. Just not a fan of it. Uh, don't okay. don't like the jerseys. But again, the blue ones do look better than the white ones. I, I, I will say that. But how hard is it to screw up USA jerseys, Dennis? There have been some really amazing ones throughout history. Mm -hmm. You would think that you just go, hey, that's a pretty cool jersey. Let's just kind of update that and modernize that one and go right. with that one. <laughs> I guess it's pretty easy to screw it up. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, it wasn't a lot of effort. That's a good point. Um, I had tweeted about this the other day as well, and it wasn't meant to, to be any sort of a political statement. I, I, don't, I don't really care about the politics involved in, in CNN or uh, any of those other right. news, news channels, Dennis. But did you happen to see the tweet from CNN that said something about – you know, the U.S. upsetting Canada at the Olympics and how it was it was uh, conjuring up these thoughts and emotions from 1980 and the miracle on ice. Uh, I was like, what are you talking about? Yes, because um, Josh Hosang is the equivalent of Igor Larionov. I mean, so I can see, you can see that, that habit. Para, like, boy, that 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 went viral. Like, I, and here's the great thing about it. I mentioned this um, I was over at El Segundo yesterday. I clicked on the article to see who wrote it and nobody put their name it's cnn sports <laughs> there so nobody had the, the guts to put their name on that making a claim like that i'm like what the are you kidding what yeah. are you talking about andy mealy is mike Ruzioni. okay sure no problem well they are about the same size but i mean other than that you got <laughs> I, John, that was just stunning. I'm going to get an angry text from Scott Norton any minute now. <laughs> That's okay. I'm used to that. But as, I'm like, and everybody jumped on that. Like, are you kidding me? Like, do you not? How could you? And she's like, no, there's absolutely no, no. no connection between there's not. the two. There's it's not. not. This is this is like uh, this is like almost just like a world championship game. You know, like there yeah. are some players. You know, yes. some of the players. Now, sure. Sure, you can certainly say that there are some younger players. I mean, Mason McTavish, uh, Anaheim Ducks first round draft pick, seeing him on, on Team Canada is awesome. Brock Faber, yeah. you know, seeing him uh, playing for Team USA, that's awesome. So there are some guys that you might not normally see uh, in these type of tournaments that are playing, and that's great. But I mean, come on, this is not uh, this is not the Soviet Army from back then, you know, uh, versus you know some ECHL team from uh, from, from the USA that's that's, that's playing. I don't, know, Just, I don't know about you, but when he won that game, I didn't stand on my chair and start chanting USA when they won when they beat Canada. For well, I didn't this only because of how early it was in the morning, Dennis. I was still you know <laughs> one eye shut and uh, warming up the coffee. Uh, the, the game times for these games in oh, China are ridiculous, but. That's what happens when you're playing halfway around the world. And, and another reason why I that's a point about about the Olympics. Yeah, like it, it only works when it's in North America yes. from a hockey standpoint. That's of course. It. It, it's eight hour time difference. Even when they go over to, uh, to Torino to Italy, that's not going to work for me. It, it's not going to work for us. It's, it's just that when it's in North America, it's great. I, I get it. I get Salt Lake. I get Vancouver. But when it goes overseas, it just it just it loses. The, the, the is the last Dennis, we the love hockey, so we are in the vast minority. Hockey is still a niche sport in the United States in most markets, yeah. 
And so that's the reality that you're dealing with. That right. Canadians are crazy and they love the game and they don't care what time the game is on. They're all going to get up. But the growth of the game from a revenue standpoint, from a sponsorship standpoint, from a casual viewer standpoint, you have to make it easy. And if a casual fan isn't going to watch uh, an NHL game that's on in prime time on a Thursday night, they certainly aren't getting up at three in the morning to watch a game from China Amen. with a bunch of players that they've never heard of before. So, you know, at some point, sanity you know and logic has to enter into the conversation so yeah I, I totally agree with you get the games in north america and when that happens and when they're in time zones that make sense then the nhl and the nhlpa they should put pedal to the metal and do everything they possibly can in those best on best situations and when they can't do that that's okay because you have this alternate uh, alternate option which is the world cup and go amen. for it right yep amen yep there is there's an, there's an escape hatch so either way it's that's how you grow the game. All right. So uh, real quickly, just to wrap up the Brock Faber talk, uh, because it is yeah. a, a central theme in the article that I put out about Chikrin, and we can talk about that in the second and third sure. period, Dennis. Uh, but just to wrap up on Brock Faber, Faber is expected to turn pro. However, don't expect him with the LA Kings next season. The idea would be for him, Mike, much like a Mikey Anderson, which is this is a great setup to come back and talk about your chat with him. Much like Mikey Anderson, turn pro, start the following year in the American League. Mm -hmm. uh, after half a season, could be ready to come up that quickly and play in the National Hockey League or could play his uh, first full season for the most part in the American League and then be ready the following year. The point is, Faber won't be rushed immediately to the NHL, nor will he require, most likely, a lot of time in the American League. It'll be a very short stint to get him ready for pro hockey. Faber looks good, looks really good, and the Kings could use him. So I'll tell you what, TB, let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side and talk about Mikey Anderson and the parallels there and uh, your recent chat with him. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. DB, we did our first period in quite some time. It's in the books. It's good. We're ready to go. The show is rolling along. Uh, we left off talking about Brock Faber, and there are some parallels to Mikey Anderson, who uh, came out of University of Minnesota Duluth, where he had won back-to-back -back championships. Faber, of course, will be going for the national championship or hopes to be playing for the national championship this year when the Frozen Four happens in um, Boston. Great times there in Boston. Uh, but talk about your recent chat with Mikey Anderson when the Kings returned to the ice this week on Friday, I believe you had a chance to catch up with Mikey. What did he have to say? Yeah. We talked with him about just about basically the last month, John, I mean, the team has struggled defensively to score. And now the coaching staff has told him like Trent Yanni and Todd to be more aggressive offensively, join the rush more. And just a guy who's always been told, defense first you're a defensive defenseman you don't have the big shot or the skill to to play like what the challenges are to jump into the play to recognize that because you know when you're playing defense and you're a defense first guy you don't even look for those opportunities like uh sean walker did before he was injured or sean dersey right so to, to him it's like you know yeah i have to be able to recognize when to go when to stop when my opportunity is um and to me again and i've mentioned this and we both We'll brag a little bit, but we both wrote two great pieces here about just 
John, I think Mikey is like at the top of the food chain with respect to development and how these kids are ready in the moment. And Mikey's a little bit older now. He's 22. He's more established. But my the impression in talking to Mikey and the other kids is that the moment isn't too big for any of these players they've brought through the system, which to me is goes to the, what they've done development-wise. I guess their profile, the type of player that he draft. To me, that's a big impression. The numbers aside, because I don't care. Look, next year, Arthur Kaliev is going to be in the top six, right? Unless something really goes wrong, right? And, and just he's developing his 200-foot game. He's making smart plays. It's just that, to me, Mikey is the lead dog, but it's these kids that came through the system, John, that just – they just impress me because they don't like give me the game where one of these young players made a mistake that cost them the game. There hasn't been one. So to me, mm -hmm. I'm just so impressed by the fact that these guys can come in, assimilate themselves into the lineup in important games. These aren't, this isn't a team that's 25 points out of a playoff spot that's in a playoff spot right now and have just performed and fit into the system. It's just been a true testament to what this team has done with respect to the development. Yeah, you know, in the piece that you referenced there that was on Mayor's Manor where I talk about Chikrin, we'll get to that. I did make reference and linked everybody to the Mark Unetti podcast because I think they right. are so important to understanding what this organization or, or where this organization is from a philosophical standpoint. You really need to understand their approach to drafting, to scouting, to developing, mm -hmm. and it's covered in depth in those conversations with Unetti. And he, ta he talks a lot about character and the type of person that they're looking for and sometimes it's too easy for people on the outside that aren't scouts that just look at stats or just watch some yeah. highlight clips on youtube and they want to second guess the, the the direction that the kings are going from a drafting standpoint well why didn't they take this guy why didn't they take that guy or hey this guy's flashier and boy he would be great to yeah. be on the team well the kings have been very clear if you listen and you pay attention to what it is that they're trying to build. There's a structure that they're trying to, to operate within. Mm -hmm. They're trying to build the team a certain way. That goes all the way back to Dean Lombardi even. Dean was very clear in yeah. those early season ticket holder meetings. Forget about what he told the media when he put those charts up with the boxes and told everybody trying to build from the back end out and so on. Yanetti and Blake have been very open here on the podcast and talking about we wanted to stockpile with the centers. We wanted to stockpile on the right shot defenseman. Mm -hmm. Now, th these these aren't trade secrets, right? And in certain right. ways, you could say, well, that's not even that different than what most other teams do. Well, it is if you really get into the finer details and the finer points of what they're saying. There was a reason why they wanted to go heavier on the right shot defenseman because that position tends to be, especially from an offensive perspective, tends to be more of a unicorn in the NHL than anything. It's fascinating to listen to those podcasts, and I will take every opportunity I can, Dennis, to promote those, not just because they're our podcasts, you know, for our traffic or our numbers, but really sure. because it educates the listener and the hockey fan out there. Forget about the Kings fan. It educates hockey fans about the way that their minds work. And so just long-winded to get back to your point, yeah. character is important, and there's a certain type of character that they're looking for and that they're drafting for and that they feel works best in their development uh, system. And I think that's one of the real interesting points that you made in your, in your article there on the fourth period, talking about the fact that so many of these young players have been thrust into positions over the last year or so with the Kings, and the moment hasn't seemed to phase them at all. You look at Jacob Mavari, you look at Sean Dursey when he first came in uh, back in late November, you just look at some of these players – they slide right into the lineup yep. and they're ready to go, DB. Yeah, and, and I talked to Todd about Mikey with respect to joining the rush and being a little bit more 
offensively oriented. And he says, look, he goes, you know, sometimes it just takes time, right? I mean, the kid's got more confidence. He's more comfortable in the role. But uh, yeah, it's just you plug these kids in. And it's not that they make the big play to win the game, John. They don't make the big play to lose the game. Right. And to me, like when you put a like Jacob Mavari in the lineup, like I'm like, uh oh, this is going to be an issue. Right. He played fun, like he's not going to score you the game winning goal. He's going to do a he's not going to do a rush like Kale McCarr, but he's going to play 15 minutes and not hurt you. And that's that to me. That's it. And John, you know, look, when Edler went down, when Walker went down, you're going, oh, boy, like this defense is going to get them to a playoff spot. Well, it's in front of them now, John. Like, they win their games, they're going to get in. So, to me, but, yeah, again, it's just a testament to seeing that these kids are are comfortable. Even a, a kid like Sammy Fagwell, who, who didn't produce, but he didn't, make a, like, he didn't make mistakes. He didn't get caught going the wrong way. He didn't get caught in his own end. He didn't not check his player, his man, to lead up a, a, a game-deciding goal. So, to me, that's it. Like, I get it. It may take time for these players, but these players haven't made the mistakes. They don't seem like... They're not rushed into it. They're comfortable in it. They, they're just a certain calmness about these players. that say, okay, I belong here. It's a confidence thing. But it's mm-hmm. also an execution thing that they bought into the system. And maybe it parallels what they're doing in, in Ontario. And since I never see the games there, I can't tell you it parallels the same system, John. Maybe you can. But to me, they look so comfortable transitioning from Ontario to the big time, which doesn't happen a lot. And it's been en masse. Like, I can't tell you when players go, okay, he's out of position. He doesn't look comfortable. Or he has to go back. It's just... It's been a real eye-opener for me that just the way they've developed these players. Well, when you talk about Ontario, I think one thing um, that doesn't draw a complete parallel is the offensive output. Ontario right. scores a lot yeah. of goals. They're one of the most potent offense offensive groups in the American Hockey League right now. And the series this weekend was fantastic. They played in Stockton on Friday night, and then they played them again on Saturday. And basically, it was a first-place showdown series. So Ontario goes in there. And uh, they they entered the weekend three games uh, three points excuse me out of first place they won on Friday night and for me Dennis it was the, and I talked to a couple of people in Kings management about this and they tended to agree with me when we spoke uh, late Friday early Saturday and that is it was a statement win and it probably was the best and most important win of the entire year because the the, the rain have had some some big wins uh you know they've had some better games even offensively you could say some some more complete sixty minute games but. Stockton, first of all, they're in first place. So mm-hmm. that that in and of itself makes it an important game. Uh, number two, Stockton does not lose at home, Dennis. Their home record is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. I think they only lost two games all year in regulation at home. So you're going on the road. You're playing in the enemy barn. And Stockton scored the first goal of the game. And Stockton, every time this year they scored the first goal of the game, I think it was maybe 12 or 14 games, if I remember correctly, they had earned at least a point mm-hmm. in that game. So you go, uh-oh, okay, well, at best, this game's going to overtime, right, right, when Stockton scores the first goal of the game. What does Ontario do? They come out and score four goals. They basically take over the game and say, no, we're not having this. The rain produced a win. I think the final score was 5-2 after the empty net goal from Ferk there at the end. But the point is, Ontario with a statement win on Friday night. You love to see the maturity of the kids, the way they took control of the situation. That is still a very... Very young roster. We talked a lot Mm -hmm. about it last year, Dennis, about how it was the kids versus the men in the American League because most American League teams are much older than the Ontario Reign. And sure, they added Tynan to give them a little bit of experience this year, and they still have Firk there. But you're talking about a team that is largely controlled by Sammy Fagamo, Mm -hmm. Gabe Velarde, Alex Turcotte, uh, Akil Thomas, 
Aiden Dudas. The list just goes on and on. And on the Madden. defensive side of things, get out of uh, Madden. Yes, yes. Don't let me forget Madden. Uh, on the defensive side, just get out of here, Dennis. You're talking about yeah. teenage kids. You're talking about younger players. You're talking about Jordan Spence. You're talking about uh, Granz, Mavari. I mean, that team is really young defensively. And they went in there and produced a statement win. Now, fast forward to Saturday night. The two teams are separated by one point. You know, winner takes first place. Uh, they end up going to a shootout. And uh, the goaltending just wasn't there. And this is something that I think ties back to your piece from uh, from the other day, Dennis, talking about the goaltending. And I'll let you speak about that. But the goaltending wasn't there in the shootout. The rain basically trailed the entire game on Saturday. And they kept finding a way to come back and win, or excuse me, come back and tie the game. Eventually, the game went to overtime. Nobody scored to go to the shootout. They lose. Uh, Gabe Velarde had another couple of goals. I want to talk about him in a minute. But goaltending... Um, I've been waiting for Jacob Ingham to take over the starting job in Ontario. I said that coming into the season. I thought Ingham right. would be the starter by December. He's there now, uh, but he didn't play on Saturday night. You talked about goaltending in your piece. Let's transition over and talk about what you think um, needs to change with the LA Kings goaltending. I just think, John, if you look at, look, the penalty kill, right? They, they have to be better on special teams. Everybody knows it. And actually, as a sidebar, I asked Todd about that. I'm like, is this just execution or it's the scheme, and I think you'll see coming out of the break, there there is going to be some different looks on, on both units because it has to change. But on a penalty kill, your best penalty kill has got to be your goaltender. And, and the weird thing is, is that the high danger shade percentage for both Quick and for Peterson has been fine. It's the normal shots. It's the, it's the less dangerous shots. They're not stopping. They're not, they're not stopping the average shot. So if they get better with respect to making saves from distance, um, it could be a better penalty kill. It can't be much worse. I think it's the third worst in the league. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you said it because that was the first thing I thought of when you said it needs yeah. to be better. Well, I mean, yeah, yes, yeah. it needs to be better, Dennis. The it penalty need, kill needs, needs to, to be better. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that they'll tweak it. And I asked um, Kempe about, my new pal Kempe, about... Uh, you guys are buddies uh, now. You guys have a little, a little, a, a budding bromance, Dennis. Yeah, very, very small budding. Um, about... <laughs> And he talked about the, the mentality of the power play where you where players get frustrated. Like they don't have success and they get frustrated and they try to do too much. And he's I because I asked him, so what are, what's the problem here? Because it was cooking it. Look, one of the problems is they only have one zone entry guy, and it's Kempe. Right? They don't Dursley's good back there, but he's not a zone entry guy. So on the second unit, there's gonna be a challenge. But he just talked about the mental side of it, not the execution part. It's like when it's when the first 45 seconds don't go well, you try to, to do much. You, you make the wrong decisions, and they've done all that over this last stretch, and they've got to correct it. So we can debate if the right personnel are there, and I think that the – look, on the second unit, I think there are guys – if there's 10 guys on the power play, John, I think there's three that probably don't deserve to be out on the power play right now, but you have what you have. So to me, I, I just think it's a little bit of executing better, and, but I think it's the mental approach is that they've got to relax more and, and just – look, on the power play, they have to pass the puck faster. They can't stand stationary. When you stand stationary in a power play, you're done. You're not going to score. So to me, those are the challenges. And if they can improve their special team play, John, then the one thing I, I you tweeted this morning, like, you know what's going on. You tweet the point percentage, not the points. You, right. You, 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 that, that's how you do it. So right now, Calgary's in first place because they've been on a heater and they have the highest points, but that's what you got to look at. But look, if they can get better and improve uh, special teams play, we're going to be talking about a game 83 in LA. Yeah, I, the Kings the Kings are on the road to the playoffs, Dennis. This team, as it's currently constructed, I do believe 
is good enough to get into the playoffs. I think the question then becomes how how much do you want to pay? How much do you want right. to trade away in order to mm-hmm. improve this club for this season versus what are you willing to do for yeah. the longer, you know, longer term picture? Uh, we can get into that a little bit. But yes. on the penalty, excuse me, on the power play, it is interesting because all of this attention has been focused of late on the defensive side of things and improving the defense and getting that left shot. Well, you have a lot of offensive options coming uh, on the blue line. You already have Dowdy. Dursey's been a revelation. You have Clark coming. Um, but offensively, you need more. And so, you I mean, you didn't call anybody out, but you mentioned, like, oh, if you're talking about 10 players on the power play, maybe two or three of them need to be replaced. You need upgrades there. It, it most likely needs to happen at forward. And yeah, I think that's agreed. really where they need to spend some of their money. So I want to talk about that. Why don't we do this, DB? Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back in the third period. We'll talk about the Chikrin article, what that means, both short-term and long-term, and kind of take a bigger picture look at things. We'll be back right after the break. to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the mayor. Third period, here we go. Kings of the Podcast, DB. We're into the home stretch here. Two periods in the books and uh, for our first show in quite some time. You, you feeling okay? Did you need a Red Bull to get through this or we're good? No, no, I'm good. I was up early, John. I couldn't, a little restless this morning, so I got up a little early. I had, had a cup of coffee, so let's get into the third period. All right, you have that Super Bowl energy. Bring it here for the I third do. period. Uh, let's talk about Jacob Chikrin. So uh, I put the article out a couple days ago here talking about the the opportunity for the Kings to go out and get that elusive left shot, young, 24, 25-year-old defenseman. Uh, the article lays it all out. I encourage everybody to read it on Mayor's Manor. There are some, some key points, though, that I wanted to discuss with you, DB. Um, one of them is the asset cost. And so right. in talking to a number of different sources, the deal looks like for LA to be able to be in on Chikrin, you're looking at four assets, two draft picks, and two prospects. And the complexion of the deal all depends upon one or the other, meaning that if you're putting in two first-round draft picks, then you can go with an A-level and a B-level prospect, most likely. Or if you're going to put in two A-level prospects, then you probably can do a first and a second-round pick. So it just depends upon how you want to do it. Now, of course, people have to understand the difference between an A-level and a B-level prospect also, DB, because that plays into it. And I sort of tongue-in-cheek or sarcastically or would insert any other word you want, Dennis, I tried to make reference to a couple of those what I'll call Twitter trade requests uh, within the article. So I don't remember the exact group of players that I mentioned in there, but something along the lines of this. Uh, Just to set the tone, you cannot put Blake Lazat, Kapari, uh, Grunstrom, (laughs) uh, a first-round pick, and Kempe into the deal. That's not what we're talking about. That might be who who you as the tweeter, uh, the person typing yes. the tweet, 
wants to trade for Jacob Chikrin, but that's not what the Arizona Coyotes want. <laughs> so the Coyotes are looking more, Dennis, in, in, in a deal with L.A., more likely they're looking for something like Velarde and Turcotte and two first-round picks or, mm -hmm. you know, Turcotte and Bjornfoot and a first and a second or mm -hmm. Turcotte and Bjornfoot along with two firsts, however you want to sort of view right. that deal. They probably really want a defenseman in the deal from what I'm yes. hearing. Um, and so if they really want a defenseman in the deal – the reason that it was reported by Elliot Friedman that the Kings were out in the in uh, in in the Chikrin discussions were twofold. One, Florida apparently is offering an arm and a leg. We'll get to that in yeah. a minute. But yeah. the Kings were insistent upon not including Brant Clark. There are two players, according to my sources, that the Kings are not interested in moving. And this really shouldn't be rocket science or uh, breaking mm -hmm, news sure. if you're paying attention. But they don't want to include Byfield and they don't want to include Brant Clark in any discussion. So you take those two off the table. Right. If they want a defenseman in that deal, Dennis, you're talking about a Bjornfoot. You're talking about yep. potentially a Brock Faber. And I think the guy that's interesting to talk about is Sean Dersey, Dennis, because mm -hmm. while he was a second-round pick, so he doesn't carry that first-round pick cachet, and it's taken him a couple years to get there, I think right now Sean Dersey's trade value, Dennis, is at its peak. This is the best version you're going to get of Sean Dersey, I believe. And so I think that the two names to really keep an eye on if this thing goes anywhere and a defenseman has to be included, I think the two names to keep an eye on are Sean Dersey and Brock Faber. And I'm told the Kings really don't want to include Brock Faber. I couldn't get a commitment that mm -hmm. Faber is at the same level of absolutely will not trade along with Clark and Byfield. Right. But I would say I got the sec the next best thing, Dennis. And so I don't think Faber's involved in the deal. Yeah, And I think that may be a reason they don't get the deal done. Because I think mm -hmm. the other defenseman, it's not the... It's not that Bjornfoot can't play in this league and won't play in this league for a long time. It's a first-round pick, but it, Jacob Chickard's a different type of player than Toby Bjornfoot. So I think that that could be um, that could be a, a block. And I agree with you. I think you got to put a defenseman in the deal. Uh, I mm -hmm. don't think two forwards and two first-round picks are, are going to get it done. It might, um, but I, I think that. Well, talk about what Florida's offering, John, and then we could see where that you know this conversation might be moved if that's the actual offer. Yeah, well, first of all, to me, if they're really serious about putting Spencer Knight in the deal, I, I think automatically Florida goes to the front end of the of the uh, the conversation because I think Spencer Knight um, has the potential to be your number one goaltender for the next 10, 15 years. And yep. Florida has too many goalies as it is right now. And I'll say this, Dennis, the signing of that kid, uh, well, the son of uh, uh, Frozen Fury legend, but uh, the <laughs> signing of that kid off the Barry Colts, and turning him pro yeah. as a goaltender, that was a very curious move mid-season and certainly suggests that yeah. uh, Spencer Knight could be in play here. And I, I think that alone is enough to sway things towards the Florida Panthers. But that's not all that they're talking about, including in that deal, Dennis. They're talking about no. draft picks, and they're also talking about including basically their number one uh, their number one prospect in that deal as well. So it just, it throws everything sideways and you go, I don't even know how the Kings can compete. Uh, if they're talking about uh, Anton Lundell in that Lundell deal as well, like Spencer Knight and Spencer game Knight, over. like game over. What, what, what Who's is going to better that deal? Well, right. look, I had that confirmed by uh, two sources. One of them that I consider to be rock solid, a plus mm -hmm. source, uh, through the years at Mayor's Manor. So, because I, mm -hmm. it seemed ridiculous to me. But right. when I had that information confirmed that that's what Florida is considering, Spencer Knight and Lundell, I just said, hey, look, game over as far, you know, they're going for it and that's fine. And, you know, maybe they yeah. figured that that's what they need to do and that's what they want to do and more power to them. And they might have reasons or they would have reasons to do it. We'll have to see if it comes out like that. But 
if that happens, the Kings just can't compete with that deal. No, so, no. you know, no one can, John. <laughs> if you want to compete with that deal, you have to include Brent Clark and you really yeah. have to start to sharpen your pencil. And I just don't think the Kings are looking to overpay uh, to do it. That's n but here's the thing, though, Dennis. This is really what I wanted to get to. I'm okay with them not overpaying. And I want to explain mm -hmm. why I'm okay. Mm -hmm. First, and I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but I want to make sure that everybody understands why I think it's important for the Kings to consider doing such a deal. I don't think the Kings should lose Turcotte. I, I, I think it would be a mistake to trade Turcotte. People can argue all they want that he's never going to live up to being a number five, you know, overall pick. I would argue this. Turcotte is the kind of player that makes teams better and a winning team needs a player like Turcotte. Watch Alex Turcotte with the Ontario Reign. Watch the little things that he does. Watch what a driver he is and how he makes his line mates better. Go back and watch what he did when paired with Kaliev and Zegris at the World Juniors last year. Turcotte is just a winner. That's what he is to me. And I think he's a guy that you want in the system. But if you had to trade a Turcotte and maybe a Velarde, who I would also hate to lose, but maybe a Velarde and two first-round picks or Bjornfoot and two first-round picks or whatever, why, if I was the general manager, would I be willing to consider that? Because not only do the Kings need a left-handed defenseman, Dennis, but what they also need is they need a player that's going to give them cost certainty. And this is one mm -hmm. of the key things in all of this, okay? They need cost certainty. And... Uh, some people are too quick to say, oh, no, 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 the Kings have no cap problems because Dustin Brown is coming off the cap and all these the de some of the dead weight is coming off of the, the cap. Mm -hmm. They're going to lose Ole Mata. Yeah, but hold on, people. You are forgetting that the Kings have already spent some of that money, Dennis. They've already given increases to Cal Peterson. They've already given increases to Alex Iofalo. They um, are about to give Kempe more money. Right. I'm, I'm going to do an article on this, Dennis, that goes through this Kings salary cap. And, and I hate talking math verbally without having a reference of somebody to have something to look at in front of them. So bear with me as I just sort of give you some high-level overview here. If you take a look at next year's Kings team, and you assume that Adrian Kempe is going to get about $5 million because that would be the sort of the sweet spot of that deal. So he gets about $5 million. If you look at the Kings lineup for next year, assuming they don't trade Jonathan Quick, and we can talk about that as well, uh, Dustin Brown, you put a question mark next to it. Okay. They met on Friday afternoon. You're talking about two, two million. You're talking about three million. You're simply talking about more than a million. Put that to the side, Dennis. I want to get your input on that as well. Just let me finish my point here. Sure. When you look at the roster of 23 players next year, there are really three positions that the Kings have available for a potential upgrade. Okay. Two of those positions are at forward, and one mm -hmm. of those positions is on defense. If you plug in a million dollars at those three spots, the Kings end up with a salary cap of just over 73 million. And on a, on a salary cap uh, a ceiling of 82.5, that means they have $9 million to play with. So just follow me here, Dennis. If you have $9 million to play with and three spots to upgrade, if you're really looking to upgrade one of the forward spots and one of the defensive spots, if you get Chikrin at $4.5 million, that means that you've used $3.5 million of your $9 million. You following me? Yep. Because it's a $4.5 million spot, but I, I put in the starting salary at a, at a million. So it's three and a half million more to get you to the four and a half million. So you've used three and a half million of your nine million, which leaves you the remaining part to go out and upgrade your forward. And even then you're bumping up against the top of the salary cap, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so what is that? Five and a half million more to upgrade to, to upgrade at your forward spot. Right. The, my point here is this, Dennis, the more you spend on that defensive spot, the less you're going to have available to spend at the forward spot. So in your article, for example, you talked about 
going after the kid in, in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. Right. Who's that? Provorov. Six, is that six, six and a half, six point seven, something yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. Just say six and a half million. So that's five and a half million more. Well, that's six and a half million, which is two million more than Chikrin. That means that if you do that deal, right, you go, oh, well, it's gonna, a, it's going to cost you less than Chikrin in assets. Sure, maybe it's not going to cost you two first round picks, Velarde and Turcotte. So on on that side of the ledger, it's a good thing, Dennis, because it costs you less assets to acquire him. Right. But it's not just about the assets that it costs to no, acquire him. It it's also the cap hit. You now have two million less if you do that deal to go out and spend on a forward, which then circles me back to my original concern and my original point, Dennis. What are you really trying to do when it comes to improving the LA Kings going forward? And I think the single number one thing that they need to do more than anything else is improve the offense. This is not a team that has enough offensive oomph on the power play. This is not enough. This is not a team that provides enough offensive oomph overall in terms of finishers and scoring goals. And I'm not talking about playing Xbox or leading the league with the guy and having a 50 goal score. I'm just talking about giving them a, a, a little bit better goals per game average. You need offense. And sure, you could get that with the right defenseman, perhaps, but you're more likely to get that with the, from a forward, I, I would think. Mm-hmm. And when I look at Trevor Moore, as much as people like Trevor Moore and as much as people want to throw praise at that second line, and you can move Kaliev up to that second line and you could slide Ardvidsson over, that's fine. And you would then have a top six next year of Ayafalo, Kopitar, and Kempe, uh, along with the second line of uh, Kaliev, Ardvidsson, and Deneau. Okay, but you need a third line. You need somebody to compliment Quentin Byfield. You need to find a way to get some offense out of that group. Dennis, my my long-winded point is you need to spend your money on getting an offensive player. I have an idea for that, too, and I'll get to that. But uh, any reaction to what I just said there? Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I I think that although, John, I I could see going for the defenseman because now – you got so many fours on, on in this organization. Like it's time. Like and if you move Kaliev up, like there should be somebody coming through the pipeline that can step into his role and start developing. I, I've always been for look. You can't argue the point the team needs for offense. You watch the power play struggling. Like okay, they don't have a finisher. Like they need that guy. And not only that, John. Like you talk about more, and I agree with you on more. But the flip side is not disrespect to the guy, but. Is Adrian Kempe a really a 35 goal scorer next season? Or is he 23? And so, because now he's on pace with 34, 35. He's in a contract year, whatever. Like to me, it's like, okay, what's the expectation? What's the average for that player? And if it's only 25 and he's plus 12 this year. Then next year, where are you finding those 12 goals that are going to go that that may cost you games? So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I, and look, if they made the deal right now to get a score on the forward, like it's real easy. You move Trevor Moore down. And Anthony C was out. To me, that mm-hmm. that's pretty simple. Like so, yeah. so you could do it now in the moment. What what I will say is I agree with respect to assets, John. I don't care who the players you're renting, I'm not treating a first round pick. There's no way. Ben Chirot for first no, sorry. I'm not giving you a first round pick. There's no not way. Not for a rental. No, not for rental. No, no not for rental. No. No. The only reason you trade a first round pick for a rental, Dennis, is when you're in the mood or when you're in the position, excuse me, not the mood. <laughs> you're in, every Kings fan is in the mood to win. When you are in the position to be able to go for it and the Kings aren't right. in the position to go for it. And that's the other difficult part of this conversation, DB, is that yeah. fans are starting to get excited again because this team is now in a position to be a buyer instead of a seller at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. They're in a position to make the playoffs, as you talked about in your article and as we made reference to, I think earlier in the show here 
okay, fine. That's all great. But yeah. still at the same time, punk, pump the brakes a little bit, guys. Yeah. This, you know, if your general manager, Rob Blake, and he has been patient, uh, you know, incredibly patient throughout this process. And he, and he has allowed things to unfold the way that he wants to, and he has not rushed anything guys, he's not going to change. Blake's not going to wake up the week of the trade deadline and push all his chips to the center of the table. Even if the Kings go on a run here between now and the next four weeks, he just, he's not going to do that, right? That's not in his nature. It's not what he's done up until now. You have to look for consistency and he's looking at the bigger picture. He's looking at next year. But what I would do, Dennis, is if you could get somebody that wasn't a rental, that maybe had a little mm-hmm. bit of term. Yep. Now the different asset, conversation. different conversation. So now I want to swing to this, Dennis. Back to Chikrin. If you get the deal done with Chikrin, what I really, really like about the deal is the term on that. It gives yes. you cost certainty. The next three years are going to be years. rough waters for the LA Kings because the next three years, they're basically going to be in a constant cap crunch. They have to pay certain players as they're becoming uh, you know, eligible for more money, just like Kempe this, this, uh, this summer. Right. And then you have some of the other younger kids that are coming up the following summer. The next three years, you still have the Kopitar money that's there. So the next three years are tough. So you better get Mm -hmm. cost certainty. So any player that you trade for, there better be some cost certainty there or you're constantly going to be bringing guys in and out of the system. Chikrin gives you cost certainty. It tells you exactly how much money you have available to go out and get it forward. You could do some shorter term bridge deals, guys that only have maybe one year of term. And JT Miller is that guy, Dennis. JT Miller is a guy who has one more year left on his yeah. deal. He's at about five and a half million. That's the type of player that can give you some offense, can give you some jam. I think that would be a great addition for the LA Kings. I'm not saying it's an easy deal to do because Vancouver might not want to deal with you, you know, being inside the same division, but it's not to say that it's impossible to do, DB. Yeah, no, it's not impossible to do it. I think he's going to go back to the Rangers because they're hot for him because they need some depth scoring as well. Look, here, I, I mentioned the rental. Look, there's one rental I would do. I would hope that the Dallas Stars lose seven straight and Joe Pavelski comes available because that guy in the power play for this team would be I, – I, look, I wouldn't trade a first-round pick for him, but that would be the guy. Leadership, he makes the power play so much more dangerous. You've been be talking to Todd team. at practice or something, DB? Uh, yeah, I have been a little bit. So, yeah, exactly. It's a little familiarity there. But, and, and I agree with you with respect to trading the first round pick, you trade it when it's 27 through 32. Yes. Right? And they're not going to be in a position to be the, the 20. It's going to be what, 15, 17, 18, somewhere around that based on their record. So you don't trade that now. You pull the trigger. But I agree with you. If it's term on it and even a GT mill, even if it's one year, look, at some point in time, you're going to have to trade a first round pick to improve the team. Like, but not for a rental, not for Ben Chirot. I'm sorry. It just, it, hey, God bless Kent Hughes if he gets a first round pick for Ben Chirot from a from a team that's trying to win a championship. And I agree with you. It's not, it, it, there's a dilemma, John, right? Because do you need this player to rent to get into the tournament? No. Um, and then when you do, like, okay, if you get in and you're the two seed and you're playing, let's say Calgary wins and you're playing Vegas, like, so what's the point? I don't think they're going to be Vegas at this point. So, like, how much – you don't go all in, right, for a rental because they're not there yet. But but what do you do with those players of term? Like, that, that's the question. Like, the, the shorter-term guys. And I agree. John, I think your situation – and you mentioned this. I, I think you're going year by year now with respect to how do you fit this puzzle. I don't think – if you brought Chickering in, maybe there's more stability. But if that's not the deal, then maybe you're going year by year. And the other guy that – and I joked about it – maybe – Tampa needs to do LA a solid because they just gifted him Eric Chernak. So <laughs> gift him back with the Sergachev, who's at that number, at that price. You know, at some point in time, 
you know, getting guys coming in for a million dollars every year to try to win a cup, that doesn't work anymore. And you're going to need some prospects. So maybe that's a possibility as well. That's the other kid that I would look at. But um, it may be a situation where they, they go year to year now because you're right. It's not going to be that easy. It's, oh, Kings have cap space. Well, as you just pointed out, not really. That's the part that cracks me up. Everybody thinks the Kings, it, we go into one or two, two schools of thought when you, when you get on Twitter and start looking at comments, either people tell you that the Kings have no money and that's why they're using their long-term injured reserve, or they tell you that the Kings have an endless amount of money because they keep seeing all of these, these kids coming in. But if you really look at the numbers, and that's why I want to put this article out here over the next uh, 24, 48 hours, DB, and, and really show the math on this. Look, the Kings struck gold with Alex Edler. And the good news is that Alex Edler, and I think you mentioned this as well earlier yeah. this week, DB, he was targeted to come back at the end of the regular season. It seems like mm -hmm. things are on, on, on track with that. Is that right? Yeah, I asked Todd about, does he have a shot to come back for the end of the regular season? He said he did. He joked around. He goes, he's been limping around the facility, but he's kind of put the crutches to the side, so he's been making progress. Yeah. Well, I guess the expectation is that he's going to get back in the lineup before we – we hit uh, middle of April. Yeah, That would be a huge ad for the Gigantic. LA Kings going into the playoffs. They need that type of a, of a veteran, heavy, physical player. He provided something to the defense uh, because the younger kids, they do make the team lighter in most cases. Yeah, um, the Kings don't really have, off the top of my head, that Mason McTavish-type young prospect. So the kids do make the team a little bit lighter. And look, heavy hockey is a big thing come the playoffs. But to your question from a moment ago, and I think this is the big point heading into the trade deadline. Can this team right now, the way it's constructed with these 23 players, even with possibly swapping out a few kids from Ontario, if needed due to injury or whatever, can this team make the playoffs? I say they absolutely can, Dennis. Oh, no, it's in front of them, John. John, if they win their games and they have the 20 strength of schedule, they have yeah. the 27th easiest schedule. Now, Todd, of course, yesterday said, well, who do we play better against? The better well, teams. The better teams. Well, <laughs> well yeah. but that's, you know, that, that's not really, it depends on which better teams you're talking about. Like, there's four teams. Tampa, um, Carolina, there's, there's two, I forget, I, I tweeted it. They're two, six, and one against certain teams. So, oh, Toronto, and there's one other team. So, Tampa, uh, Tampa, Carolina, Colorado, and St. Louis. They're two, six, and one against them. So, it's not like you play great against all the great teams, right? But, John, they have three games against Seattle. They have two games against Arizona. Like you look at the next two weeks, you look at the, I'm telling you, the next two weeks are so important because if you, if you think they're going to play for the three seed, who's going to be the main competition? Dennis, there's only the, two teams they Dallas. need to beat. There's only yeah. two teams they Dallas. need to beat, in my opinion. It's Anaheim yeah. and Edmonton. And believe right. it or not, those games are coming up on the schedule. So they come out, the of, the break, yeah, they come out the of the break. Yeah, they come out of the break. They're, the playing, they're, playing, the they're playing, they're playing the Edmonton. Two weeks. Yeah, exactly. Look at the Kings and Ducks schedule the next two weeks. Could go a long way. To, to me. And look, coming out of the box, Ducks lose to Seattle at home. That's not a way to come out of the box if you really want to be a playoff team. So to me, yeah, I, I just think that it's in front of them, John. Like, they don't need help to make the playoffs. If they beat the teams that they should beat in the last 35 games, they're in the playoffs. It's simple as that. They don't have to say, we need help. Somebody has to go on a losing streak. They have it in front of them. They don't have a particularly different schedule. And they don't have a very strenuous schedule either. Like, I think Edmonton plays five games and seven nights coming up soon. So these games in hand are great until you actually have to play them in this type of schedule. So to me, I think the, the, the schedule is very advantageous. It's not that difficult and it's not that strenuous, but now go win the games. 
Dennis, if you beat Edmonton and you beat Anaheim, yeah. it goes a long way yeah. towards making the playoffs. 100%. I would circle this date on your calendar, Kings fans. The trade deadline, I believe, is March 21st. I yeah. would pencil around March 10th to be when you would see the Kings start to make some moves. That's when they're going to start to tweak the roster. Somewhere yeah. around that date would be my prediction and my guess, Dennis. I tweeted that a couple of weeks ago. People mm -hmm. asked, why did where did I come up with that date? So now I'm talking about it here. I think that you don't have to make the big moves right now. That you can make some no. bigger moves over the summer. If, yes. if you if the moves are there to make at the trade deadline, you do it. And you're certainly going to be a buyer because you're probably going to look to add something. And if you're looking to add a rental, you're not trading a first-round pick, to your point. You're getting a little bit of depth mm -hmm. to help set you up for the playoffs. That's all cool. That's all you know, fine and dandy. But those aren't the big moves. The, big, the next two big moves are the defenseman and the forward, and they have to figure out where that comes from outside the organization. By the way, DB, to tie your point back to one of my earlier ones, I said three moves or three positions to upgrade, two at forward and one at defense. I think the defensive upgrade has to come from outside the organization on the left side because mm -hmm. they don't have an option there. The two positions at forward, you could you could ask for those two upgrades to come internally. I think that the more conservative way or even the better play is to get one from the outside and one from the mm -hmm. inside. And so you will see three upgrades, I think, over the summer heading into next season, whether it's trade deadline or in the summer. I think before next year, you'll see an upgrade on D and you'll see two upgrades at forward. I think one's going to come internally and I think one will come externally. So and Todd, you know, Todd mentioned he he's not against integrating another player from Ontario this season. Right. He mentioned that Anderson Dolan's having a great season down in Ontario. So scored in five straight now, I think. Yeah. So could, could he be an impact? Well, not could he be part of the, the solution in season this season? He could. He hasn't dismissed that. So I, I agree. With, I, I think you go out and I agree with you with respect to the timing of it. What move do you make now? Now that said, there are teams that are totally out of it. So if you're if you're cherry picking off an Arizona or and not chicken, but Arizona or a New Jersey or Buffalo, whatever, you, you, you can you can make that deal conceivably today because they're so far out of it. But I agree. It's not coming trade deadline day, John. We know that. Like, those deals don't get done. And I agree with you because you want those two weeks to integrate that player into the lineup. And the trade deadline's so late, you don't want that player coming in that late. So coming yep. back 10, 14 days, I, I think that's where you see a, a multitude of moves. I agree with you on that as well. Here's the last thing I'll give you, DB, and it builds off of your comment about Jared Anderson Dolan. I think the two players to keep an eye on in Ontario that are most likely to be on the Kings – uh, in March and April, not only Jared Anderson Dolan, if there's a way to fit him in, but Gabe Velarde. And people keep asking, why haven't they called Velarde up yet? I'm going to touch on this in the cap article, DB. Sure. But And nobody will ever admit this on the record, but there is a very good reason to keep Gabe Velarde in the American Hockey League, and it has nothing to, well, I shouldn't say nothing. It, it, there's another reason. So there's one good reason is to keep him down there and let him to continue to develop as a winger, which is what the organization has done, is they've moved him to wing. So that, that development mm -hmm. piece is true. There is another one as well, DB, and that is that he's coming off his entry-level contract. Mm -hmm. And the Kempe contract, you pretty much know where it's going to fall at this point. Right. If Gabe Velarde was to come up and light the league on fire, there could potentially be a problem for a team that we just talked about it for 30 minutes, Dennis, for a team that's cap strapped and that needs to control their costs and have certainty going forward. The lower cost on any bridge deal for a Gabe Velarde 
that comes in, the better off the LA Kings are. And oh, that's yeah. just the reality of pro sports, Dennis. It's the reality yeah. of the NHL. It's the reality of a cap world. It's better for the LA Kings to have a low number on Gabe Velarde going mm -hmm. into next year. So leave Gabe down there and in the week leading into the trade deadline, uh, don't be surprised in March if you see Gabe Velarde finally recalled to the LA Kings, spend a little time uh, with the club in the home stretch. I think that's the plan, DB. Sounds good, Jay. All right. Have fun at the Super Bowl, Dennis. Best of luck to the Rams. I hope you enjoy your time at SoFi. Enjoy your $500 parking. Uh, you might want to leave now so you can get to the... <laughs> now, wait a minute. I'm smart. I, I'm using... I'm using Uber? The blue, no, Blue Shuttle. Okay. $40. $10 oh. each for the shuttle over. So, yeah, it's about a three-mile... Uh, there's an open lot three miles from SoFi, and they're running shuttles right into the... Uh, right into SoFi. There's only a couple of entrances. So, I, 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 John, I can't... I look, we parked in the purple lot during the season, right? Which is like 70 bucks. The pink lots next to us, it's going for $750. Well, I set you up for this perfectly, Dennis, because if you yeah. can take a bus to get to a Rams game, you can certainly get your ass to Ontario for, an, <laughs> for a rain game. So there you go, folks. You've heard it here. Dennis is going to take the bus from Encino to Ontario. We will see him at the Ontario rain game. He can check out Jared Anderson Dolan, Gabe Velarde, Sammy Fagamo, Alex Turcotte, and the whole game in the second half of the season. DB, it's been great. Uh, look forward to doing it again soon. 30 to 16 Rams. Let's do it again soon. All right, there you go. A prediction from Dennis. We'll talk to everybody soon.